Hello and welcome to this week's edition of BPM Pod, the podcast where we get behind people's music. Thank you for joining, listeners. Really, really glad that you are here and spending time with me and super thankful that you've got the time to spend listening to this episode. And I promise you, it's a good one. So what do we have coming up? Well, we have an interview with a singer, songwriter, stand-up comic, improviser, poet, and just general nice guy, Blake Farha. He'll be talking to us later a little bit about confessional songwriting, how he learned his trade, his journey from Dallas, Texas to Berlin, and how depression really isn't something that we should shy away from and stigmatize, but something we should talk about and bring out into the open. So that's Blake Farha, and he'll be coming up in a minute. It's a long episode this time, so we're going to give this episode a relatively short introduction. And people who follow me on social media and follow me on email and things will know that there's a big announcement coming up. Interesting, right? So, drum roll, please, as we announce what the big announcement is. Here we go. So the big announcement is there will be a BPM podcast album released soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for your applause. Hold your applause, though, because there's a little bit more to say. So, as you know, over every episode of BPM Pod, or most of them at least, we try to record an acoustic track with whoever it is we're talking to. Uh, It's normally done just through two microphones and me scrambling wildly to try and set the levels to a good level. So the quality isn't fantastic, I concede, and the tracks still need some mixing, uh, but there are tracks. There are at least 10 right now, and it's going to be launched when there's 15 tracks, and the album will be called BPM Pod Stripped Sessions. So it's acoustic versions of songs from the guests we've had so far. Tonight I want you sing your Release date so far is seeming to be September. So if you listen to this in the future, it should have already come out. And if you're listening to this on time, it's not yet out. But yes, September 2019 will be the release date of this. I am looking for some assistance with sound mixing and some assistance with designing an album cover also. So if you do want to get involved, please do get in touch. Just go to bpmpod.com and you can offer your assistance there through the Contact Me button. Or you can find me on Facebook also and Instagram. It's all bpmpod. But yeah, that's the exciting announcement. There will be an album, and on that you will hear the likes of Manano Band, Molly's Peck, Chris Weinhardt, Lisa Akua, Moose Johnson, Eodora Johnson, even Scars, the thrash metal band, have done the acoustic version of a track for this album. And they'll all be compiled together, it will be released online, and all proceeds from the album will go to a music charity. I haven't found one yet. 
that I really want to deal with, but I'd like to invest in some sort of charity that teaches people music or gets people involved. So stay tuned for more news there. But that is your big announcement this week. No tracks of the week this week, although there are plenty I advise you can check out, and I've written about them in the episode itself on bpmpod.com, so go and check that out. So let's get straight into the meat of it. Blake Farha is more than a southern droll. He's a poet, he's a comedian, he's a fantastic singer-songwriter, and he's an advocate for mental health care. He really is a brilliantly inspirational human being. I played with Blake a few times, actually, in Berlin, so I already knew him through that, and sort of got the sense the very first time I played with him that he is something special. But man, just hanging out with him, talking to him, hearing what he's got on his mind, and hearing the things he's been through and how he's triumphed from them is incredibly inspirational it was actually a real pleasure and privilege to sit down with blake in his apartment and it was just great to have a guest who is so open about mental health issues and the struggles and just things that other people generally don't open up about which we must open up about to really understand each other and really you know just empathize with each other in a better way so very very thankful that blake was on this episode and wanted to be involved in the podcast blake farha so farha is f-a-r-h-a if you type in blake farha you will find a lot about him he's got a few videos on youtube he's also got a Bandcamp page a facebook page and an instagram page so definitely get in touch if you want to jam, if you've got some ideas, or if you want to get involved in his podcast. That's right, he also has one. So I should uh, watch out, evidently. So we had a great conversation. It was fantastic to talk to him. And it is a long episode. We're just stretching over about 50 minutes here. But I promise you, it is worth every single second. So here's what happened when I sat down with the legendary Blake Farha. I'm Blake Farha. I'm a singer-songwriter from Dallas, Texas. I've been living in Berlin for four and a half years, and uh, yeah, I've been playing since I was 13 and writing music since I was 14 and still doing it today. Strings to obtain that base, he was old the American. And we played together, well not played together, but played at the same nights a couple of times now. Yeah, a few times, yeah. Yeah, because you hosted a night that I played at. Um, do you get out and play live in Berlin that often? I do not. I really rarely play live in Berlin, and it's always been sort of a battle with myself of how I want to get back into music without getting back into gigging in empty bars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, there's just a lot of competition, right, among different sort of musicians and stuff here. So 
I think after a while you exhaust people's maybe patience, like of your friends and stuff. If you're like, keep coming to this gig, watch me sing, watch these other people sing who I'm really yeah. similar to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, it's pretty tough. Well, and, and I think as, as well, when I came to Berlin, uh, I, I was I kind of gave up music when I came here. Uh, so I, I was living in Austin before I came to Berlin, and I was you know really chasing the dream. I was young. I was like 25 or so, I guess. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I spent a year and a half just really working as hard as I could at like being a musician, whatever that meant to me at the time, and gigging nonstop in a city that, I mean, you want to talk about competition, that city is just, it's, it's known as the live music capital of the world, yeah, yeah. and every, I mean, every cafe, every bar, every ice cream shop, every barber, anywhere there's a corner big enough to shove a musician with a guitar, there's a musician with a guitar, and they're probably better than just about anyone you've ever heard in your life. Mm-hmm. So... It just became so demoralizing for so many reasons. I mean, it's hard to make money. You play for free everywhere. There's no audiences. And uh, people, I think, are really desensitized to music. I mean, you, even I, as a musician, was getting tired of clapping. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everywhere you go, yeah. you're like, oh, i got to clap this guy, too. Yeah, yeah. And because there's no shortage of good musicians, I think people just stop listening. Because they're like, when I want to tune in, I'll choose that. And whoever it is will be amazing. I don't really care how good. The, that was kind of... And maybe that was me. I was in a very dark place in my life so maybe I had a very cynical view of it but after all of that I decided I'm just done when I came to Berlin I kind of gave up chasing music or pursuing it so I never really have been part of the music scene here in Berlin so much like I've continued writing and recording music on my own but I've never really I, I really don't know the music scene that well or what kind of competition mm-hmm. is out there or even what kind of like people it comprises you know what mm-hmm. I mean <laughs> because you've still released like a huge amount of stuff like like you've got quite a back catalogue. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I recorded a few things uh, before I came to Berlin. What my, my sort of debut EP, like the real, like, there are a, a few DIY things that I did in the past, yeah. and then that yeah, was yeah. the first real release I, re- I recorded in 2013. Uh, and last year, I recorded three, three uh, sort of DIY records. Um, one was an Elliott Smith cover album, and the other, uh, there were two more that I recorded last year. Um, that were both EPs of just like a backlog, a back catalog of music that I had when I was in Austin that was what I feel is the best music, up to that point, the best music I'd ever written, but I just never got around to recording it. And by the time I left Austin, it felt like it would just be wasteful to spend the money recording it because I don't really plan on doing anything with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last year, yeah, last year, I, I the space was made. I, 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 was, uh, <laughs> I was laid off from the startup I was working at. Uh, where I was working full-time, and I was like, all right, what's the first thing I'm going to do? Well, the first thing is I'm going to finish this Elliott Smith cover album, and then I'm going to record all of those songs that I never recorded while I was in Austin to kind of clear the clear the pipes, so to mm. speak. I felt mm. like they were really blocking up yeah. the artistic space. Yeah. I wasn't writing yeah. anymore. I couldn't be creative, and whenever I would play my guitar, it was just to remember those songs. Mm. So mm. I wanted to lay them down. So yeah, I've, been, I've still been playing and recording and writing now, especially the last year I've been writing a lot. Um, but I've never really gotten out of my bedroom <laughs> no no but tell us about austin quickly so let's yeah. jump into sort of your musical roots quickly sure. uh, first so you've been doing this sort of thing for what about 17 years now right playing yeah. music yeah roughly i started when i was 13 and i'm 32 now so yeah and what made you pick that up family friends wanting to look cool uh, I, you know what? I, I loved music. I was really, I mean, I really loved music and I loved singing. And then I met this guy when I was in middle school, this guy, Travis Richardson, who's still a very good friend of mine. And, uh, yeah, he played guitar and I just thought it was really cool. And he was kind of a rebel. And, uh, I don't know, just 
for whatever reason, it made sense. And so I asked if I could have a guitar. My parents were gracious enough to let me have one if I, if I agreed to take lessons, and that's how I started. When did you first start writing songs then? Because everyone starts out just doing covers, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I still course. play covers, like everyone does. Yeah, but when yeah. did you start then finding your own voice? Um, so I think I started out playing a lot of like whatever. So Travis would, would come to my class and he would pass me like uh, loose leaf paper with tablature that he'd written himself on it. So it'd have songs by the Toadies or Green Day or Incubus. That was kind of where I started. Uh, and um, I think about a year later, I started writing my own music, which was very like punk, you know, what I thought was punk or, yeah. you know, what basically power chords and, yeah, and lyrics. Just repeated power chords. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it made sense, and you know, lyrics that were overly poetic and absolutely, absolutely indecipherable. You know, <laughs> so that's kind of where I started out. Um, but then you would sort of all of the stuff I've heard from you is very, I don't know, folk singer songwritery, confessional kind of. Yeah. So when did that sort of infusion come in? Because that's quite a big step, even if you stripped back a Green Day song, it still wouldn't sound that folky or singer songwritery. Yeah. Um, I guess, so I had a band in high school, and uh, we were called The Greater Good, and we played a lot of covers like that were very like sort of fun and upbeat for us, so it was like Third Eye Blind and Green Day covers and uh, like bands like that, you know, kind of mm-hmm. pop punk or like sort of 90s alt rock, um, and when the band broke up, I started doing my own thing, and I don't know, you know, I, all I had was my acoustic... And I really loved Dashboard Confessional. Like that, do you know Dashboard Confessional? No, I don't. Actually. So Dashboard no. Confessional was like they were kind of an, they were kind of uh, a pillar of like the emo music scene when emo was becoming big. Um, and it's this guy called Chris Caraba who became quite famous later uh, for a song he did with uh, for the Spider Man soundtrack. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's really like the first record actually, is. I think I remember that song. Now you've said it. Uh, what was it called? It was called Vindicated. Yeah, is I the think, name I, of the think song. I know it. Like it's somewhere <laughs> in the back of. If my you head, heard it, it, buried it, was, it, it was massive. If you yeah, heard it, you know it. Yeah, but yeah. he played his first record was just him and his guitar, and it's like it's just what it sounds like. Dashboard confessional. It's this guy screaming his lungs out about like how sad he is or whatever with this beautiful like Gibson jumbo guitar. Um, and I think I was just so impressed. I loved it. I loved what he did so much. That's kind of where I think I started writing this type of music. Was kind of from yeah, Dashboard Confessional. But it's, it's funny that you've asked me that, because I've never really thought about it, I guess, and I honestly don't remember. There wasn't a moment where you just switched and thought, you know, let's just go into that. It just kind of happened. Yeah, I and I guess what I'm saying actually is, is maybe, I mean, it started a lot earlier now that I think about it. Even before I was in a band, I was writing music, and uh, I, I mean, I don't, I was 14 or 15, so these songs, are, I forget that they even existed at some point, but they were all, it, I guess it was always kind of that way. I always liked very mellow, chill music as well, and I guess that's just what I was able to do with my acoustic guitar that's what I did tomorrow I'll have to push it still from this solitary peak I can see I'm not alone there's a billion contented people all shackled to their stone I'm not the first to notice the absurdity Is it an outlet for feelings and stuff though? Is that another sort of reason? Because that's partly why I took up music was 
I guess now looking back, what would have been depression, I guess, in teenage years and stuff. But, you know, at the time, it's just a sad teenager, right? Emo yeah, sad right. teenager. Yeah, but yeah. now looking back, no, it wasn't a good place at all. And that was really what made me start singing out loud. But I, uh, before we started talking, you mentioned some of uh, your sort of background yeah. and stuff like that and issues you've had. Do you think this became a sort of outlet for that as well? Absolutely. I, I mean, absolutely. I I knew I loved singing. I can still remember the moment that it hit me. I was like eight years old. My grandma had sent me this book of like Christmas songs with a cassette tape that went with it. And I remember being in my room singing Jolly Old St. Nicholas, but like as hard as I could. You know what I mean? Like harnessing all of the Mariah Carey within me, who I loved at the time. So that became very clear to me. And I remember my parents were like, Blake! That's nice, but please stop and <laughs> never do it again. And I always sang from then on. And once I got a guitar, yeah, very quickly it became an outlet. Like, you know, I, I mean, I've been suffering from depression my entire life. I mean, from, from as early as 12 years old, I was already having some pretty negative thoughts. Um, and uh, I mean, to put it lightly, uh, <laughs> and I think guitar very quickly became a place where I could, where I could get those emotions out. And to this day, I mean, often it's 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 a matter of necessity like i have mm. to write a song or i have to pick up my guitar in order to express what i'm feeling it's like therapy after oh 100 totally like, i totally agree and it's especially hard when you're as you say 12 sort of i, I only really reflected on it maybe i was about 15 was when i first started noticing that was some fucking dark places man like yeah. why did your mind drift off there that was yeah. really not right but it's hard at that point because everyone just puts it down to puberty or school or you know you're some emo narcissistic teen and yeah. it's like no there's something more than that and I always thought there was to be honest yeah but I could never really put my finger on it and the idea of depression just seemed like totally fucking alien that's what that's what old adults get after they divorce and stuff yeah. like that isn't me absolutely I mean it wasn't until I was 25 I was living in Austin you know I was chasing my dream in theory it was the best time of my life I was living on the savings that I had made while I was living in South Korea teaching English and I was like cool I'm gonna go chase my dream didn't have a job I was playing my guitar six hours a day and then going to gigs at night or open mics or wherever I could play I mean in theory I should have been happier than I've ever been and I was never so miserable and it wasn't until that point where I mean you know we're talking like unable to get off the floor for mm. hours at a time, you know, literally just unable to pick myself up off the floor. It wasn't until a, a month of that, that I was like, maybe this is abnormal. You know, mm. even at that point in that, in the depths of that, I still didn't realize that maybe there was a name for what I was going through. For me, yeah. it was just Blake, you're being, you know, a crybaby or whatever. Or lazy or tired or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And I mean, I've been living with this my whole life and it wasn't until then I was like, maybe I should talk to somebody. Maybe this is actually more serious. And I was, I was 25 years yeah. old. Yeah. Uh, and you know, that's, that's a big reason why I'm very candid about, about the things like my sort of mental health issues, because I would have gotten help so much sooner oh my God, if yes. people talked about it. If I yeah. had known it was a thing, I didn't even know what depression was no. really, you know what I mean? And I'm, I've been having suicidal thoughts since I was 12. Yeah. You know, that's not normal and that's no. not healthy and it's not okay, but I didn't know that, you know, and, and no, no one talks enough about it for you It was you my know. girlfriend. Well, she's now my wife, but at the time she was my girlfriend and we'd been together about a year or so and I kept telling her this like weird shit I was thinking about and just yeah, not even suicidal although sometimes but really just just very negative yeah just on everyone and everything and nothing could really work and yeah. i hated myself and everyone else and she was like this will not last unless you get some help yeah like, right. it really cannot mm. like nobody should function like this and so she actually sort of pushed me to get help and it was sort of six months of therapy which isn't a lot to some people but yeah. it was enough at the time man 
now I tell everybody, I'm like, honestly, just do it. I think everyone should have to do it, actually. Like, it should be mandatory. Take six months out of your life and go and do some therapy or something. Because, holy shit, like you said, had I found that out, that was at 23, I think. But had I found that out earlier, I think it would have solved a lot of shit, like, uh, really quickly. But, I mean, and the worst part is, <clears throat> I guess, you know, you have, we have these bad habits that we, are, we don't realize are bad habits. Yeah. And they're they're not getting fixed and in fact you know you're living with them longer and longer they become more and more entrenched and it takes longer and longer i guess to get rid of them so you know the tragedy is that not only are you not getting help younger but it also when you do finally decide to get help you know it's you have a much bigger battle ahead of you because you yes so just in there deep and i mean yeah for me it was a very similar experience you know Mm -hmm. the a a woman that i was dating at the time um named amanda who's also an amazing she's a a beautiful musician um she was it was kind of her who pointed out like uh this isn't people most people don't experience this like this un un, like inability to get off the floor and stop crying most people don't experience that you know that right and i was like what (laughs) and yeah i mean i I agree i think i i tell anyone who will listen like man i recommend going to talk to a professional because i'm sure no matter how good your life is we all have i my guess is that we all have some things that we could use a little help processing you know what i mean just some things that we didn't quite process right that maybe could be tweaked touched just looked at a little bit in a way that could maybe turn it around and serve us a little better you know yeah yeah a lot of my music is is about you know my mental health struggles and my struggles with you know existential crises and who i am and and how i relate to the world around me and and a lot of i mean it's just a way of understanding it because for me the you know these thoughts they just don't make sense and they're there and they're real and you're like why can't i just be well when i look at my life i know how beautiful and perfect it is i mean i i few people and literally in all of human history has lived have lived a life as privileged as mine yeah so why uh, am i literally on the ground crying right now like what is that about and so a lot of my music is about that because it was the only outlet that i had for so long mm-hmm. and still is the only way that i know you know you just hear the right note and yeah. you feel like that's what i'm feeling right now that yeah. note i don't know how to tell you what i'm feeling but listen to this chord that i just that i just yeah. strummed yeah. that's what i'm feeling is that the level that you actually you've made a perfect segue into the next question so that's good well done like i was like did he look at my notes because that was really <laughs> good like is that the level that you sort of write music at you actually construct notes based on how you feel or is it just in the lyrics because i've listened to a lot of your stuff uh, that's online and there's definite themes of like loss and confusion and yeah. wandering and trying to find your place mentally and literally physically yeah literally (laughs) so i mean is it a lot in the lyrics or do you actually go to that detail as well with chords and structures and things um the the music usually comes first so in my writing um usually i I don't i don't think like i'm gonna write a song i'll just sit down with my guitar and kind of start playing and uh and i'll just be fiddling around until i hear a note or a chord that really for whatever reason resonates at that moment and then I'll build around that, but it's built purely on like what I feel and what I kind of, what in my head I already hear. So I'll hear a chord and kind of be like, maybe the next note could be this or that. And so the music itself is all for me, um, very linked to what I'm feeling. And usually that feeling is tied very much to a train of thought that I'm on at that moment. So the lyrics come, come next and I'll find sort of what I think might be the core. I'll just find a piece of the song that I really like that I'm feeling really in touch with. Uh, it all sounds so cheesy when you talk about it out loud. <laughs> it does a little bit, but it's all right. But I guess it's the reality. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is how I write. So, uh, you know, then I'll find a piece of the song that I really feel in touch with, and I'll just kind of start looking for what I would call, like, my vocal melody. And uh, and usually there will be a word or a phrase that pops out, and that word or phrase will sort of 
resonate. And then I'll just kind of keep singing it over and over until more more comes out of it. And usually that's how the, the song writes itself. So the music and the lyrics are usually pretty inextricably entwined. Mm. They're both really... The music is more of like the release of the emotions and the lyrics for me become kind of like a more logical look at what I'm feeling. What is it that I'm thinking? What is it that I'm kind of going through at that moment? keeps you curious then and sort of inspired and searching to write new stuff uh you know the human experience is a never-ending one um so every day it's a it's a new battle every day it's a new struggle and um i mean that sounds really pessimistic that's not what i mean (laughs) every day is just a new set of emotions a new set of things that you face and um it just it's not even that i'm like i need to write new music it's just i need to write new music you know what i mean like i because every day i'm experiencing new things and although i've gone through a lot of therapy and although I've gotten a lot of help and although I'm in the the best place mentally I've been probably in my entire life you know that doesn't mean that it's always easy and um and music just is the right outlet for me to really like sort of let it out you know Mm -hmm. definitely your voice is something I want to talk about actually because you have this incredibly well carrying voice actually like it's surprisingly loud from what looks like very little effort I must admit because <laughs> when I've seen you sing before it looks like you're not really screaming or sort of scrunching your face and a lot of people when they try to get volume they do this sort of false thing where they sort of like tense up like that or yeah. something thinking that their chest will sort of bring them volume but you kind of are quite I don't mean this rudely, but unanimated in that sense. You seem <laughs> relatively composed, actually. I just stand still like a statue. Everybody come check me out live. Totally worth your time. <laughs> no, but, but quite composed. And, like, did you ever have training vocally or anything? Or? Uh, not really. I did, I, did, I did take one voice class when I was at university for six months. Um... I, I've always been loud. I mean, ever since I was a kid, you know, all my teachers would get on to me all the time. And it used to really frustrate me because th- this is me talking, I, like, this is my most normal volume. I can't talk quieter than this. It's If I were to talk quieter than this, it would struggle. Like, it would be a really difficult thing that I would have to be very, very conscious of. I actually of. have to set the microphone quite low, even yeah. though it's a good, what, 12 inches away from your face, actually, <laughs> and you're not even talking into it. I still had to set it lower than most people. Yeah, honest, I don't know but... what it is about my voice. Uh, I, and interestingly, it didn't drop till I was about 19. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, even up till I was 19, I was getting mistaken as a, for a woman on the phone. Uh, and then overnight, I had this voice. This and, booming. Yeah, I don't know where it comes from. I did a little bit of vocal training. I was always on the stage, you know, uh, as, a, as a kid, like as early as, you know, 11, I was in theater. So maybe I learned some there, some theater techniques. I think mostly it's just that I have a really deep voice and probably a lot of um, attention that I maybe didn't get as a kid. <laughs> this is just my way of subconsciously getting it. It's going to be as loud as I possibly can. <laughs> I mean, if they were telling you to shut up when you were singing Mariah Carey covers, this is maybe like the outlet years yeah, later. So yeah. well done, parents. <laughs> Good one there. Yeah. You bottled this all up. But, um, but you do sing in this quite, I don't know, bass to sort of tenor range. Do you ever really go above that to like big higher stuff? I used to sing a lot. I used to, I mean, my, again, my voice didn't drop until much later. So I mm. sang really high for a long time. And um, I don't go that high anymore, I don't think. Um, because I've, I've learned to kind of embrace my voice. You know, there is... I think for a long time I felt like I had to sing in a high-pitched voice because that seemed to be kind of what was cool and what was trendy. And, you know, you looked at guys, you know, a lot of male singers across the range of rock and roll 
had really high pitched voices or were able to go into really high, like yeah. the Mars Volta or Panic at the Disco or even Green Day or yeah. Third Eye Blind. Generally, you know, male singers have a pretty like a much higher range than I do. And I tried to imitate that for a long time, and then I just realized it wasn't working because my voice kept getting deeper. Mm. Uh, don't smoke, kids. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I had to quit smoking just so my voice would stop dropping. <laughs> um, but uh, now I've learned to just kind of embrace it. And in a way, I sort of I try to get I try to always improve my range, and I'm always trying to like you know again I quit smoking specifically to improve my my voice. And um, I try to go higher, but I just this is this is kind of what I got, and I've learned to think maybe instead of trying to fight it just accept it and now if anything I, I actually start singing I've started singing lower and really mm -hmm. accepting that I have this deep voice and that that can be powerful of, on, of its own accord and even if it's not what's like main what's commonly I don't know how to say it even if it's not what you often hear it, it, it can work and I don't know I just try to make it work for myself no definitely um, there's actually a few singers I really like who do have really really low voices they're not like huge famous people but um and it actually was someone you reminded me of, even though the music is totally different. It's a guy called Richard Hawley. Okay. Who's a oh, yeah, Sheffieldian yeah, yeah. guy. But it's this very low crooner voice. And not necessarily a crooner sort of style, because I don't really think that's your style of music. But it's um, it's definitely the same range and register. Yeah. When I heard you sing first time in, like, Rattler's Bar or something. And I was like, wow, okay. Like, he's actually rocking the, the low register, <laughs> which is good. Because like you say, a lot of people try to sing high. Mine doesn't go lower than this, really. Yeah. It just doesn't. I cannot sing down down here. That's way too low. So I'm sort of limited to this two octave range, really. Yeah. And then I can't go much higher than D5 or whatever the hell it is. Something like that. Then, then I'm done. But I think most male singers are in that range also so it was really refreshing actually to hear you play some like singer-songwriter stuff and it was this low sort of bass almost voice and I was like wow that's a bit different it's almost like Cohen-esque actually after a oh, while I thought goodness I've just so, been, I've just been so, compared to Leonard Cohen oh well, you can't sing for <laughs> shit so don't worry about it <laughs> I love Leonard Cohen but it is talking but no the same sort of register and that really uh differentiated you a, a bit I think well it's been kind of tricky to like find my voice and I'm still obviously I think any good artist I guess is kind of always searching for their voice you know in quotation marks whatever that means for them um, you know my biggest influence vocally is Rufus Wainwright he's mm. he like when I first heard him I remember th I was maybe 17 and I thought that is the voice that I want to have that is amazing just this booming theatric operatical like op theatrical operatic voice that is so delicate and so smooth and so when I was in university at first I could I could kind of keep up with him in terms of his range not obviously sing like him but I could really like that was kind of the range that I had and over time it just kept getting lower and lower and lower so I've kind of somehow kept this I still look to him very much as as an influence and as as um, an inspiration for vo like my vocals and so I still try to have this very big it's been really hard for me, actually. It's been maybe my biggest struggle vocally is to stop singing so big all the time. And it's it was the feedback that I used to always get, I mean, that I've been getting since I've been playing music publicly. People be like, you have a good voice, but maybe tone it down a bit because you're kind of one note. It's just like you're punching me in the face 24-7 with your voice. And at first, wow. you know, the rebellious kid that I was, That's was a pretty like, harsh you, don't, <laughs> you don't understand the music, okay? That's how I want to sing. I want to punch you in the face 24-7. And it wasn't until, honestly, two years ago where one of my really good friends, Sam... 
Uh, he's, he's one of my best friends in Berlin and a, a musician who I really admire was like Blake seriously man you're, you're oh, he's British and he kept using the phrase you're over egging the pudding and somehow <laughs> his, his was the voice that finally penetrated and was like okay maybe I need to think about this so now I'm working much harder at like learning to be a delicate singer as well and like learning to tone back and use the power that my voice does have to really have an effect as opposed to just like numbing the listener with it because it's just like oh you just sing at that volume all the time so I don't really notice it Record here and mix here. Uh, the last three records that I did were, were recorded here. Yeah, and you know how to mix. Uh, have you learned that sort of through any sort of formal training or just researching online, just, trying things out? Yeah, exactly. YouTube and our, you know, um, like whatever articles I could find on the internet. I mean, I've I've really done. The, so the last three records were totally done by myself and whatever. I mean, mixed, mastered, produced. If you can call it mastering, yeah, yeah, I, you yeah. can't really. But uh, yeah, I just learned it all through just trial and error. Yeah, yeah. What do you use for that? Actually, super uh, geeky question. No, I, I'm embarrassed to admit because it doesn't feel like a very musician-y thing to say. I use GarageBand. GarageBand and wow. like a USB mic into a into an interface. Wow. <clears throat> no, no, it's not a USB mic. It's an XLR mic. But but yeah, just GarageBand. Wow. That's good. I didn't expect like that sort of full sound from garage band actually that's very nice of you to say no because uh, everyone else uses like I I use audacity even for this um, which is fantastic although expensive and I'm still on the light version yeah um and a lot of people use Pro Tools. I think that must be the most used one. Yeah, be right. Because of all the different plugins to it and stuff. But rarely do I hear people say GarageBand still, actually. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was I had lost my job, so I didn't exactly have a whole lot of money to go investing no, no, no. Uh, in this experience. And be, again, it was like, I'm recording these records out of a desire to not let the fire for music fizzle out. Yeah. And out of a desire to like just have them for posterity's sake. Mm. So it didn't feel right to go spending a whole lot of money on recording equipment that I didn't know how to use. Um Equally, like I think it's worked out quite well. I'm actually I'm generally quite pleased with the sound that I got out of yeah, it. So, yeah. <laughs> what are you working on now then? Because you're a prolific sort of songwriter. There's a bunch of stuff online. You're always sort of strumming new ideas, and you said that yeah. you, you know this has been a time now to clear the black backlog. Yeah. But I guess you've still got a backlog somewhere. Yeah. So what are you sort of working on now? What are your next musical aims? Well, luckily, I was I, I was very proud of myself that uh, I was right. Like my uh, sort of intuition said, like you need to record this backlog, get it out of your system, and then you'll start being creative again. Mm-hmm. And that really happened to be the case. As soon as I recorded all those songs and those records were done, uh, I mean, almost immediately it was summertime in Berlin. That was 
was last May. So summer had just started, and immediately I started writing again. And、mm-hmm. uh, right now, I have definitely a good EP's worth of material that I'm working on.、Um, I, I would say I probably have about ten songs, more or less, that are all completed in some. Yeah, some are very, very fresh. Some are just a couple of like chords, and some are totally done.、Um, so the next thing I want to I want to record a new a new record. This time I think I'll go into a studio. I've never done that before,、um, and I would love to have a studio record.、Uh, yeah. Just never been willing to spend the money, but I found one that、uh, apparently is quite good and quite cheap. So I would like to. At some point, start putting like I want to spend the next couple of months really polishing those songs, getting them really being really fighting fit for the for the studio. You know, record playing with a click track, etc.,、um, getting really well practiced, and then yeah, I'd like to take it to a studio and, and produce a studio album. Will it be a solo thing, or do you think you'll have session musicians on it? Or it's such a I would I would love nothing more than have session musicians. I mean, the reality is that my, the songs that I write generally in my head they all have bass lines, drums. I mean, I can hear it all. You know, I just don't have. I have yet to make the connections that I need to make、yeah. in order to bring that to life. It would be nice. I don't really have、uh, much funding for this, and no, no. although I've always wanted to do one of those like crowdfunding things, and I had some friends in Austin who did that with like they had great success. They re- they released excellent records with. Brilliant producers and good studio musicians、uh, doing that. I always felt like I'm cheating people because、mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know how I'm going to get back into music or if or like what my music career, quote unquote, will be. And it always felt a bit disingenuous to be like, "Give me money, everybody, so I can make a record, and then I'm not going to do anything with it." Completely agree. No,、yeah. Totally agree. I released my sort of first. Proper album, I guess, of ten songs, but it was just acoustic. That was in a studio with a friend of mine, Thomas, who's fantastic and、uh, runs a little studio in. A, it used to be in this、uh, in this basement, but now he's opened a proper one back in Sweden, and it was really, really great.、Um, and luckily, because we're friends, he, it was basically like just chuck me the bare minimum to keep the bills、yeah. paid for the two days you've been here, and、yeah. that's it. Like I don't really care. So that was good, but beyond that. It's going to cost money to get people in. I mean, I could ask friends to come and play a, a guitar lick <clears> and stuff like that, but a drummer, for example, I would need a good drummer, and、yeah. that's going to cost me some money to pay someone to come and do that. Yeah. And like you say, part of me has been like, should I fund this myself? Well,、mm, that's not really practical at the moment. Should I ask people for money? Well, I kind of feel like I'm almost like a charity case. Yeah. And then I don't know what I'm doing with this like record yet. Will I even press it? Will I send it digitally? Will I sort of market it well enough? Will I follow it up with something? I don't know. Like, it's, it's, it's a hard question, you know. I mean, and I, I believe in the value of art for art's sake. If it costs ten thousand euro to make a record that you made, that is beautiful and that you're proud of, and that p- even ten people listen to and go yes, then it's worth it. I mean, it's worth the money because what is money anyway? Let's not get into that. <laughs>、yeah. But but I mean, you know, art for art's sake is is, is real. But I. I yeah I I don't know something doesn't sit right with me doing like a crowdfunding campaign just to literally make a record and be like done thank you that's it、mm-hmm. so and that's the big question that's on my mind kind of constantly really is and and has been for years、uh, what is music to me and what I I can't give it up you know I keep writing music I keep playing I still want a gig I still want to be out there I still want to share my music I mean I'm on this podcast for example it's not、mm. for nothing you know no, I really no. it matters to me and yet I can't seem to quite take that plunge back into the ring you know what I mean and be like、mm. all right I'm gonna start I want to be a musician whatever that means I want to make music my life somehow and this is the duality you know what I mean like the reality of like My age and my situation and what life for a musician can be like, or at least the, the life that I saw for myself and all the musicians that I was surrounded by, you know, seeing these 
unbelievably talented artists who were 35 and had nothing. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, had nothing. And to see that and be like, that's a, that's a reality for, mm. that's a very likely reality mm. for a lot of people who are very talented. So it's, but then at the same time, like nothing else makes me happy. Nothing else makes me excited. No, no. And I can't stop doing it. You know what I mean? Like I just can't give it up. And there's like a guilt that I feel for not continuing and not pursuing further. And the question that I have now is, okay, I want to get back into music, but how? I don't want to do the same, make, make the same mistakes that I made in the past. I learned a lot from the experience that I had, you know, living in Austin and really chasing my dream as much as I could. But how do I want to go about this? Like, what is, mm. what's the clever way to do this? Because there's the hard way and then there's got to be, there's got to be the clever way. I'm, I'm yeah. convinced of it. I just don't know what it is. And it's, yeah. <laughs> it's not going viral. That much we all know. No, but no, it's no. just a matter of like, what is a sustainable way to make this work? Mm. If anyone knows, please. <laughs> yeah. And that's the question I normally ask people as well. Even beyond the sustainability of making it work, like economically or whatever, like you've at least got to stand out at some point and catch someone's attention yeah. who can sort of connect you to someone someone or recommend you or listen to you or whatever like you need to stand out in some way or another or another and we've talked about this before we talked about it last time at Rattlers like there is a huge selection of average to good musicians in Berlin mm. there's also a rather large selection I'm sorry of not great ones but it's still good they play like don't get me wrong I'm not like shitting on them at all like they just need sounds a bit, like you're shitting on them no 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 but they, <laughs> they just need a bit more experience and they're just starting out and whatever like totally fine great but I can never seem to find a theory between the good musicians or the not so good ones or the really great ones as to who succeeds it seems to just kind of be chance actually you know, I mean, as I said, I don't really know the Berlin music scene that well, so I can't really comment as to, like, the, the kind of, like, grades of talent. But, um, I mean, yeah, it does feel like that, though. People who, quote-unquote, make it or have some kind of success, whatever we whatever we want to define that as, yeah. I'm sure that there are some factors that, that, like, are similar for all of them. They probably work hard. They play all the time. They're out there, you know, just doing the grind. But I think, yeah, I guess a lot of people who are successful, I mean, I think there's always an element of, there has to be an element of luck to everything. Mm. I mean, mm. to some degree. And as they say, like a person make, makes his or her own luck mm. by being out there, by, by working hard, you know. Uh, or I think I, I read something once that was like, luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. <laughs> and I really like that idea because, yeah, you can be the luckiest person on earth, but if you're not ready for it, if you're not good at what you do, if you haven't put in the groundwork, then you're never going to, like, you're never going to get lucky, so to speak. No, no. It does seem quite random. And those instances of people getting, like, doing really well, I find them insanely frustrating because... Mm they are a glimpse of what could be you know there's that part of my brain that says like why not you like this person has done it and it's not to say that you're better or worse or no, anything no, no, it no, has no, nothing no, to do with that no. it's just if it's possible for this person then in theory it is possible for anyone and why can't that anyone be me and yeah. that that question that's a just better way to put it burns actually. in my mind it dogs yeah. me especially like <clears throat> yeah there's there's one person in particular who I'm extremely inspired by at the moment and uh and I <laughs> I, 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 I I I there's like I, I can't even talk. <laughs> I'm like okay now I can't talk. Um Yeah, I mean, you know, local like Alice Phoebe Lou, it's it's amazing what what this woman has accomplished. It's absolutely stunning and I can still remember the first time I saw her playing on a street corner like at Mauer Park uh, to a crowd of about, you know, six people. And I was just blown away by her. I mean, you, you talk about standing out, you yeah. know. I remember walking past and just hearing that voice and stopping dead in my tracks 
and looking and just thinking, who is this? This is amazing. Yeah. And slowly but surely, you know what I mean? She's just kept at it and kept at it. And it's, it's amazing. And I see that. And I have to admit, there's part of me that's like, well, great and wonderful. And why not me? You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's right here in Berlin. There's a prime example of somebody who does something, you know, like in my genre, at least. Yeah. yeah. They've done very, very well. And they're still just on this rocket ship. one gripe we have about musicians though which we'll probably finish off with a small rant about okay and that is musicians and timing we talked about this again today and we talked about it before Radlers actually when you were hosting and people dropped out and things um yeah it's quite frustrating and I don't think musicians help other musicians by keeping this persona going necessarily and it pisses me off actually quite a lot Uh, trying to form a band I mean there's obviously economic restrictions and stuff like that like we mentioned earlier but also the reliability of people I find on the whole sorry to everyone who's going to hear this because it sounds really bitchy but it's quite poor actually I am I want to be very diplomatic here I have been (laughs) surprised that what I perceive to be a normal level of reliability has not necessarily been matched all the time uh, when I've interacted with other, let's say, artists, because it's not always just... No, musicians. no, no, of course not. No, no. But, but yeah, I'm, I mean, I've definitely been frustrated a time or two, that's for sure. Mm, mm. <laughs> and I don't know, and I would agree, I think it's a very nice point that you make that, you know, musicians don't help other musicians by perpetuating this sort of uh, stereotype, you know, of being unreliable, of being flaky, because... Well, then if you are a reliable, you know, dependable musician, then people don't necessarily assume that off the bat. And that, mm. that just, it, we're doing each other a disservice. Yeah, exactly. And I, as you were saying, trying to form a band, I think we're hurting each other's chances of, of finding each other. Because mm. I, I, I certainly have been, again, part of the reason why, as I mentioned earlier, why I've always kind of played by myself, is also just because when I've reached out to musicians and stuff, so often it's been like, yeah, let's definitely meet up. Cool, going to see you on this date. And then it just doesn't happen. The yeah. day comes and it's like, yeah. sorry, can't, whatever. And you just go, well, what's the point? That's such a waste of my energy. And now I've got nothing to do. I'll just play by myself then. Mm-hmm. And how many like interactions could I have had or other musicians like me who or artists like me who were like, well, I'm just going to give up mm-hmm. meeting other people. Mm-hmm. And that's a connection. That, who knows? The next John and Paul could have met each other and they didn't. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but, but what do you think this comes from? Where is, the, where is this stemming from? Why are artists, quote unquote, flaky or unreliable? What's that about? What do you? I mean, you're a musician. You're an artist. What do you think it comes from? For me, it doesn't. It's like I'm incredibly <laughs> I'm reliable. No, but I'm incredibly <laughs> organized. Actually, I'm relatively well timed, and I've had to cancel on a couple of people for a couple of podcasts. Actually, but I mean, one was for Christmas. I mean, it's Christmas, and the other one was because I was sick. But yeah. otherwise, it's like no. I generally generally follow up because I don't know. I do have that sort of. I hate the phrase work ethic. I hate that phrase, but that sort of like. Yeah, determination to be like, right, we've agreed it now. Like we said when we were talking before this started, it's set in stone, we're going to do it. Yeah. Like, that's it. Like, even if it's shit, it's done now, we've got time for it, let's just do it. Yeah. Kind of thing. So I've always been like that. But I don't know why this uh, mentality of sort of 
flakiness comes from. I don't know if it's people want to live up to this sort of creative stereotype and they think that somehow being non-committal is, you know, makes them more flexible and free-spirited. I don't know. I don't really know what it is. Um, No, I really haven't nailed it yet. I I But get your fucking acts together, people, (laughs) is basically what I want to say. Yeah, I I mean, for me, like, I'm not not even, like, proud of the fact that I'm I'm pretty organized and I'm, like, pretty on, like, on schedule. If I say we're doing something, you can pretty much set your clock to it. I'm going to be there on time, ready to go. Uh, But it's more out of, like, my own sort of mental illnesses. Like, I I just need a plan. Otherwise, I don't feel secure. I don't feel Mm -hmm. safe. I like knowing that, like, there will be time with other human beings. There will be interesting things coming. So it's not even, like, I'm just better than everyone I just no, no, don't no, no, know no, why no. not everyone feels like me like exactly. doesn't everyone lose their mind when they don't know what's yeah, coming exactly. up and like that's who am the... I going to hang out with and what am I going to do to make sure that I'm progressing in my life like that's why I have an agenda you know what yeah, I mean? no, but that's what I mean I think I've come across now like I'm sort of better than everyone that's not right at all it's just I do sometimes think doesn't everyone work like this? Don't you always want to know the next five moves after your first move? No, but they apparently don't. Not. I'm like, finding that out and, so, and Berlin is like uh, Berlin is like a like a the city of flakiness. I've never lived in a place where it is so hard to nail down people ever in my life. It is crazy how non-committal people are and how quickly, like last minute, people be like, "Oh, sorry, I can't." Something better came along. Fair enough. People come to this city looking for something. Yeah. This city has everything going on, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a yeah. week. So yeah. everyone is kind of, I feel, waiting for the next best thing to come along. Yeah. There's no. It's yeah. like it's like. Um, what if like yeah I, I always say like Berlin is FOMO city it's just everyone is yeah, constantly afraid of missing out on the next coolest thing yeah. so you add this like artistic sort of already stereotypical lack of reliability and you squash that with Berlin's FOMO and this like this non-committal attitude that people have here and it is it's quite hard man I yeah. find it really difficult to like organize and get people together and but then looking at the flip side would I, would I really change much of it though I probably wouldn't actually. I think if it became some sort of formalized, like, I don't know, if we went the complete opposite way and everyone sort of worked with music professionally and it was very formalized and everyone did their own thing, it'd be boring as shit. Uh, It's also one of the greatest parts about this city is that because of this kind of non-committal nature of everything, Anything can happen. I mean, you you have the weirdest experiences at the like at the drop of a hat. Just you had no plans, and then all of a sudden you wound up just on a rooftop, like I don't know, watching the sunset while people were like using professional bubble gear to like blow massive bubbles, and <laughs> wow. people are like drum circling. Just these things happen all yeah. the time as well. Like I, yeah. I regularly have, and I'm not even that interesting a person. I'm not the most free spirited out there, and I still have events. At least once a month, if not like twice or three times a month, where I get home and I'm like, I don't know how that happened. I don't know how I had that event and that night just take place in that order. Never in any other city in the world could that have taken place. (laughs) And they're only going to keep taking place if you get out and play, Blake, I'm afraid. So some of it's on you as well. You know, I've been thinking, I mean, coming back to that, like, what am I going to do? And I think what I would, what I would really like to do, because for me, like what is playing about? If it's not about fame and fortune, which it obviously can't be, or at least I don't think, I mean, that's like, as I I have a song where I think I say that exact line, it's like working to win the lottery. Like it's just, not going to happen so like Mm. don't go with that in mind what is it that I want for music and what is it that I want about playing um, you know in public and for me it's that intimacy that connection you know and and there's a real part of me that almost sees myself as an advocate for mental health uh, issues and like people getting help and my music is so deeply about that and I talk a lot about that in my sets so I want to also like spread that message like people get out there get help talk about it let's be open about these things let's stop stigmatizing you know the people who are hurting and suffering and maybe it's you and you don't even know it um mm-hmm. 
So anyway, all that to say, what I would really like to start doing is living room concerts. That's kind of where I want to start yeah. focusing my energy. I'm thinking a lot about how I can do that and how I can start organizing that. I'm already organizing my first one. Oh, I'm really nice. excited then about Then you have to give me tips on it because I've been thinking about this for a while, especially in a city like this. Like, here's the positive side of that sort of flaky Absolutely. creativeness. I'm sure you could fill your living room up with 10 strangers or yeah. people you vaguely know who yeah. would come along. I mean, people are always looking for kind of an interesting thing and that is an interesting thing. Like, come to a stranger's... I mean, I've done it before with one of my old vegas. There was this... There was some of these... Somebody organized, like, during the month of May, during an entire weekend, just, like, all over the city living room concerts where musicians were... People would offer up their apartments these people had a kind of a platform you offered your apartment musicians would would sign mm-hmm. up and then they would match you together and people would just show up and my my roommates did it and we all played in my my roommates were musicians as well we did it in our apartment we had just 20 strangers complete strangers in our apartment who showed up like cool give me some music in your weird apartment so i think it's definitely the right vibe for it and you mm-hmm. know the apartments happen to be big enough to allow yeah. for these things, which is yeah. not always usual in a big city. And I think on top of that, there's just parties all the time. And, yeah. you know, people are having dinners, brunches, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, why not add some entertainment to that? Like, you know, have a musician come in, sit in the corner for 45 minutes, bring you some love, some good vibes, maybe pass the hat around, or I don't know. Is yeah. there is there yeah. money? Is it at all financially viable? These are questions I don't have answers to. Mm-hmm. But... It does seem like a really fun way to connect with people and to be in an intimate situation. And I, when I think about, okay, what are my options? Playing open mics, playing, getting gigs in bars that are empty on a Tuesday anyway, or, you know, playing in people's living rooms. Maybe it'll be a crowd of 10 as opposed to a potential crowd of 50 at a bar, which mm. will never happen. Mm. Uh, but it's a crowd of 10 people who are listening and who yeah. you can really connect with. And so that's what I would really like to start doing is living room concerts. So if you're listening... <laughs> yeah, and you want to join in or offer your living room. One of the two. You just let me know. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got living room concerts, new music that will gradually go through the backlog, and then something very similar to what this is right now, right? You're also thinking of. I would. So now's your chance for your shameless plug. Oh, shameless plug. Well, I don't know if I can plug it yet because it's, uh, it's, it's not live. But by the time this goes out, it will be. So <laughs> yeah. you'll be fine. Well, I'd like to start my own podcast, um, yeah, as well. Um, I was laid off from a startup that I was working at full time in May of 2017. And the first thought that I had when, I, when they fired me was like, how dare you? And then the second thought was, fine, I'm going to go walk the Camino. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the Camino de Santiago is like a pilgrimage that you can walk there. They're a network of um, a network of trails that spread all the way across Europe, but particularly throughout Spain that lead yeah. to the city of Santiago de Compostela. And in this city, uh, there's a cathedral where they buried, uh, allegedly they bur- they've buried the remains of uh, St. James the Apostle. Uh, who is one of 12 apostles. For those of you who don't know, who aren't Catholic, it's a big deal for Catholics. Um, it's in a case, huge trek, right? By the yeah, way. I mean, like, so the, the main routes go all the way across Spain. And so uh, I decided, I've been thinking about this for years and I wanted to do it as sort of like a spiritual journey. I'm not, very, I'm not religious at all, but like I definitely had some questions that I wanted answered and I thought it would be nice to have the time to take a walk and think about it. So yeah, as soon as I lost my job, I started planning that and I wound up doing it. And so... Uh, because it was very much a personal journey and a very, a very spiritual one, uh, spiritual is maybe not, not the right word. Basically, I was looking in my brain and trying to find no, out what the issues were. No, but it's a very reflective sort exactly. of process. Yeah. yeah. Um, I kept a journal the entire time. And so what I would like for the podcast to be... Uh, because I really think I learned a lot and I really think it helped me. And uh, as I said, like I, I know that I have I've a lot of... I have struggled a lot with my mental health and this journey really did... 
I think I learned some some very real valuable lessons here and not everyone has the privilege or the time or the money or the whatever to do such a journey or to take 30 days to like just go traipsing I walked almost a thousand kilometers in in 33 days Uh, not everyone can do that and so I wanted to spread that love and spread that you know what I learned to other people who might be able to benefit from it so what I would like now that I'm finally getting to it is to do a podcast uh, like a live uh, reading of that journal in sort of yeah, having a co-host maybe to talk about what I'm what I'm reading and what I'm, what I'm going through in the journal with me, as well as a small live audience, uh, eight maybe eight to ten people, kind of in my living room, just to create a nice cozy vibe where we can all kind of hmm. go through that journey together. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'll stay tuned for it. And you've already asked for some tips from me, but that's a really bad idea. Um, I beg to differ. Your podcast but, is lovely. Why, thank, thank you. you. But um, <clears throat> but so we'll stay tuned for that, and then more music to come as well. But where can people find out more about you if they're interested? Uh, please, if you're interested, find me on Instagram at uh, Instagram.com/slash/BlakeFarha. That's F A R H A F A R H A. Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Just like it sounds. Farha. Yeah. Uh, you can also find me. All my music is on BlakeFarha.BandCamp.com. You can stream it for free. You can download it for free. You can send money my way if you feel like it. I certainly won't say no to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Instagram and Bandcamp, that'd be where you can find me. Excellent. And you're going to play a song in a minute, right? Yeah, that's right. What is the song you're playing? So it's a brand new song. It's one that I've only recently finished. Um, uh, and um, yeah, how... Use your words, Blake. <laughs> so you should know. I also, um, when I, I get very nervous talking about apparently podcasts and <laughs> specifics of my songs, I always feel very like cheesy when I talk about my music. I just can't. Like, I'm like, oh, no, I can't it's take fun. This, this is what this is for. So sure. you, you've got time to do that. Um, so this song is called For All the Good It's Done Me. And, uh, you know, um, so I lost, I, I, I lost this job back in May of 2017. And uh, I spent the, like the next year really really digging deep I had just gone through a year of intensive therapy again and um, had really come you know I was really trying to just figure things out and fix things and I had this really positive period for a very brief period of time and it was really going well and I thought I've turned a corner in fact it was right after I came back from the Camino and I was like I fixed everything I can't believe it like I've actually finally fixed everything I'm, I'm, I'm never I really thought I've turned a corner I'll never go back to that place and suddenly, six months later, over the summer, I found myself, you know, a year after having lost my job, after recording these records, after all this stuff, I found myself just in one of the lowest depressions I've ever, ever had. And I just thought, I cannot believe I'm back here. I really thought I would never be back. I mean, I genuinely believed it. Mm-hmm. And here I was just in the depths of it, as deep as it had ever been and as real as it had ever been. And I just thought, like, what has all of this been for? What is the point? Like, why have I traveled? Why have I done therapy? Why am I trying meditation? Why do I write music? Why do I create art? Why do I read books? I do so much trying to fix this brain of mine and it's just gotten me nowhere. And that, or so it seemed at the time. And that's where the, the, the song came from for all the good it's done me. This idea of all these things that I've done for all the good they've done me. And here I am. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we end on a slightly no, low note. That's it, slightly dumb note. <laughs> but otherwise. Well, uh, you know, it's that's life, man. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. We've got some ups and downs. But otherwise, Blake, thank you very much. Thank you. This has been great. And uh, it'll be good to hear you. So we'll get you set up. Brilliant. Yeah.
to the depths of my mind. 